Welcome to a new episode of New Work in Intellectual History. My name is Selma Sonden and I am a master's student of intellectual history at the University of St. Andrews. Today I'm talking to Dr. Lena Weber, who is a research fellow at the Institute of Intellectual History here at the University of St. Andrews. Lena's research and teaching interests lie in the history of European economic and political thought with a focus on the long 18th and early 19th century. Today we will be talking about Lena's current work in the collaborative Dugald Stewart project, which is working on a new comprehensive edition of Dugald Stewart's works to be published with Edinburgh University Press. Welcome Lena and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for the introduction, Selma, and uh, thanks for the uh, invitation. Well, to kick off, I was wondering if you could just give us a brief introduction into who Dugald Stewart was. Yes, certainly. Um, so Dugald Stewart was a leading philosopher of the late 18th century. Um, so he was born in 1753 uh, in Edinburgh. He was also educated at the University of Edinburgh. His moral philosophy tutor was Adam Ferguson. Um, and then he went to study uh, in, at Glasgow under Thomas Reed and came back to, to Edinburgh. And he first replaced his father at the as the professor for mathematics and then became in 1785 professor of moral philosophy and he taught moral philosophy at Edinburgh between 1785 and 1810 so for a really long period of time in and quite a turbulent time as well um, and Stuart he's the first one to to introduce a a lecture course dedicated to political economy and he did that in the academic year of 1799-1800 and we'll talk more about that later. Um, Stuart was famous as a, as a teacher and very well liked by, his, by all of his students and he published numerous works on common sense philosophy. He also wrote the first biographies of Adam Smith, Thomas Reed and William Robertson and he corresponded with the most important intellectuals in the late 18th and early 19th century. And he still, if you've, I think quite a lot of people know his monument. So if you go uh, to Carlton Hill on, uh, in Edinburgh, uh, you see this, this round building. It's a round structure with an urn in the middle. And that's the Dugal Stewart monument that was erected after his death by his um, friends in Edinburgh and I think it shows the importance he had in his time. Amazing, thank you. Um, I did take a look at the uh, website of the project that you're currently working on and there Stuart is called a public intellectual. Could you explain what is meant by that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he was a public intellectual in that he engaged with with more or less anyone who was important at the time. So his house, he was not only a teacher, he also would house students. For example, Francis Horner and also um, the later Lord Palmerston, they used to live with him and get private tutoring as well. And he and his wife, his second wife, Ivy, they gave dinner parties to which Quite a lot of people were invited, so he met um, most of the, the British philosophers of the time, for example, 
um, Edmund Burke, William Godwin, to name just a few. He corresponded with the, yeah, really the who is who of uh, Scottish and British life at that time. And also um, he had contacts internationally. So he knew the Madame de Stael. He corresponded with um, French and Genevan intellectuals. So he was really a, a key figure uh, with a global reputation around 1800. Oh, that's that's great. Thank you. Um, now, I already hinted at the project. Um, the Dugald Stewart project it kicked off in the year 2020 and it will end in 2024 with the publication of the new Edinburgh edition of Dugald Stewart by Edinburgh University Press. Could you tell us how this project is structured and what it does? Yeah, so um, the the new Edinburgh edition of Dugald Stewart will be um, under the serious editorship of Knut Harkinson and Paul Wood, and it will bring together publish uh, the the Stewart Stewart's published works and also his lectures. Most of them were not published by himself, and uh, we will also collect and edit and and publish his his correspondence. Uh, and this is, it's necessary, I think, because, yeah, Stuart was, as I, as I already said, kind of a highly respected and highly influential philosopher at the time, but he wasn't, he hasn't been treated well by scholars. So quite often he's seen as a marginal figure, as a, not an original thinker, who was merely an epigone of the Scottish Enlightenment. Mm, but I think he was an important bridge between the moral philosophers of the Scottish Enlightenment and then the utilitarians, the liberals and the romantics of 19th century Britain. And this edition will allow scholars or will enable scholars to investigate Stuart's ideas and also to investigate how they changed in response to the political and intellectual upheavals of the late 18th and early 19th century. Could you possibly give an example of that? The the project's website says that Stuart's major works were published in what they call one of the most dramatic periods in modern European history. Mm. What does that mean and, and in which way did it influence Stuart's works? So it is it is a challenging thing to really unpick what Stuart was doing um, because so I can I can primarily talk about his his political economy lectures because I know them quite well, um, and he was so Stuart was afraid of of Pitt's terror. So the British government uh, after the French when the French Revolution turned violent, um, with the regicide in 1793, they the British government was really keen to suppress any kind of sympathy in Britain for the French Revolution. And they were especially hard in Scotland. And Stuart had in one of his works, The Elements of the Philosophy of the Human Mind, he had made a positive reference to Condorcet. Um, and it was really innocent. It's just about Condorcet's take on education. Um, but nonetheless, it brought him into trouble and he was socially excluded, he was under suspicion, um, even the, the, um, the, the, the law courts were 
thinking about investigating him. So he was really afraid of being punished or of being prosecuted. So Stuart was very cautious in expressing political views openly. And also in the lectures, we don't, he, be, he very seldomly says something directly. So his teaching style is influenced by William Robertson's precedence. So he gives loads of examples and quotes texts and other philosophers. So you really have to unpick his own opinions, trying to find them in between because he aimed to teach students to think for themselves. So he wouldn't give them his opinion, but try to enable them to form their own between the different opinions that have been voiced. Um, so, but we do see in the, um, in the lecture notes we have, we do see him, um, so he was originally, let's take the French uh, Revolution as an example, he was quite sympathetic in, uh, in 1789. He was also, he was in Paris at the time, um, but he distanced himself from the French Revolution after the turn to violence. And in the lectures he says, oh, so the French Revolution is, it's only a, a downturn in the general progress of human society. Um, it is an aberration of that progress. Um, and this is something he only starts saying in the early 18th century, early 19th century and hasn't been saying before. Okay. Um, now, you already said that um, you specialize on Stuart's lectures. That's Within this Dugald Stewart project, you are working with Professor Richard Watmore and Dr. Ryan Walter on a new edition of these uh, lectures on political economy. As I understand, your task is particularly difficult as Stewart never actually published his lectures. So how do you go about reconstructing these lectures and what are the particular challenges you are facing in doing so? Yeah, that is uh, absolutely correct. It is quite quite a challenge. So um, yeah, Stuart taught this course from the academic year of 1799-1800 until his retirement in 1809-1810. And he didn't publish the lectures himself. And he had, he intended to restructure the course and publish it after his retirement, but he never did. And his own notes were all destroyed. So after he died, his notes were given to his son, Matthew Stewart, who was a um, colonel uh, for the, uh, in India. Um, and Matthew Stewart had contract, contracted a disease. It's not entirely clear what he had, uh, but he was mentally unstable. And you, Matthew Stewart tried to, to sell his father's works to a publisher, but didn't get the money he wanted to, to get. This is at least the story he himself tells. And then he felt threatened. He says, someone broke into my house several times and all the, the papers were in an order, so he destroyed everything. And this makes it, of course, quite challenging. So the, um, the philosopher Hamilton he published uh, an edition of the Lectures on Political Economy in the um, 1850s as part of his big collected works of Stuart Stewart. And he 
says at least, he says he relies on autographs by Stuart that have disappeared um, and on student notes. And it's 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 quite it's quite messy if you if you if you look at this edition. So it's about it's two volumes, about a thousand PDF pages. Um, so it's quite comprehensive. And what we are now trying to do, so we we collected all the extant student notes that there are, and we from the different years. And so we try to reconstruct the course based on these student notes. Um, and that's of course a huge difference to other editing works when you have the published works in the shape and in the way the author intended them to be published. So it is it is a challenge, but it's also really interesting detective work in a way because you need to um, decipher handwriting, of course, and also trying just to figure out what was Stuart doing, but also what are the the students in a way? What what actually what do they do when they take notes, and how does that shape um, what we now have? So and, yeah, sorry. From reading these notes and reconstructing the lectures. What would you say were the broader implications of Stuart's teaching in the past that also make his lectures on political economy interesting and relevant <laughs> for the present? Yeah, um, so they are relevant in that they are the first academic course specifically devoted to political economy taught at an academic institution in Britain. So elements of what Stuart defined as political economy have been part of public debate and also part of academic teaching before. So if you think of, um, of course, Adam Smith, when he taught moral philosophy at Glasgow and also Thomas Reed, they would include questions like population and commerce and what it does to a polity in their in the lecture courses. But it was not yet a science in the sense of a clearly defined body of knowledge. So this is something Stuart does, and he also gives it the name political economy. And again, this compound term political economy was not used in the 18th century very often. I think it's only mentioned two times, I think, in Smith's Wealth of Nations. So Stuart brings together quite a lot of um, themes and makes them into a coherent whole and calls it political economy. And here it's important to note, I think, that it's still much broader than what we now call economics. So Stuart, of course, he treats questions about uh, of, of national wealth um, what is the value of money? Um, what is the freedom of trade? And so th these things are part of his lectures, but he also talks about population is quite prominent um, and also marriage the poor laws and education. So you, you, you can really see that it's that this is political economy as it developed out of moral philosophy. And it's still it's still quite far removed from what we now identify as economics and economic thinking. But I think it is this. It's a really crucial link between the world of 
the the 18th century Scottish historically oriented um, moral philosophy, and then the the 19th century world of of liberalism, of utilitarianism, and of also romanticism. And if we want to understand where that comes from and how the one transitioned towards the other, I think Stuart is a really important link and a bridge between these two worlds. It, it does sound like it. Um, could you tell us more generally regarding Stuart's importance for this, um, the science of political economy? Um, how do you think this project and, and your new edition of his lectures will contribute to the field of intellectual history more generally? Um, I hope it will make it will make Stuart more accessible. So I, I hope that uh, our volume, but also the edition as a whole, um, will create interest in new scholarship that tries to to just do justice to to Dugald Stewart and will try to understand what a, what was he trying to do in his time. And I think that it's often that intellectual historians often tend to rely on published material and don't work that much with manuscripts. Um, of course, they're they're difficult. They're they're often yeah, in archives, you need to travel there, get there, um, decipher the handwritings. And I hope that I hope that the edition will just make Stuart's ideas more accessible to a wider audience. And I would imagine that in the process of deciphering these manuscripts yourself, um, you probably also found a new angle to to look at Stuart. Um, was there anything particularly interesting or even surprising for you during that research? I quite like finding things I hadn't expect to find based on the scholarship. So if you if you read, if you if if you're familiarizing yourself with the scholarship and Stuart, he's quite often um, said to be just a and someone who idolized Adam Smith and his Wealth of Nations and who just followed Smith and wanted free trade. So, and or as someone who doesn't really understand Smith, but still trying to popularize him. And then, but in the manuscripts, you really see that he says, for example, of course, Smith is important, but the physiocrats, so the, the French economists, um, they are really important for him as well. And this is something I didn't expect, for example. Um, and I like these, yes, these these instances where you, when you find something you wouldn't think you'd find. It does seem like um, this new edition really helps to create Stuart as his own person, as his own philosopher. Um, just to wrap up this interview, um, what do you hope your readership will be taking away from the new edition of the Stuart's work? Well, I do hope that they that they discover an interesting philosopher and that they do discover someone who was interested in all kinds of philosophy. And this is really philosophy in this 18th century sense that includes um, ethics, metaphysics, but also politics and economics and questions of religion. So he is so broad 
and so broadly interested and so well connected that it's really really interesting to to read what he has written and and also read his correspondence it's a it's yeah quite pleasurable this is a fantastic concluding remark um, Lena, I want to thank you again for taking the time today to speak to me. I'm very much looking forward to hearing more from you in the future. And until next time. Thank you. <laughs>